How about now? Good morning. As I uh, was saying, thank you for the music, beautiful music. If you ever get a chance to go to Alex's house, before you leave, they usually pull out their songbook, and many of those songs are in Russia. And to listen to the family sing, especially when they sing in their native tongue, how beautiful that is. And so I always appreciate the heart and they're singing for us. Thank you, girls, for your song, Speak, O Lord. As you notice, there was another one up here. He is not a Peterson. He's good-looking like a Peterson, but he's not a Peterson. <laughs> Reuben has uh, come from South Africa to visit us, and he was one that I met over 12 years ago, and we had a Bible study together, and he has been part of our church in South Africa ever since, and he's come up for the last two and a half, almost three weeks now to visit us, and the time has flown, and he flies out, and so I've always appreciated his heart for the Lord and just his ministry with music. I'm going to invite you this morning to take your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Some of you might recall that it was back in May, on Memorial Weekend, that we begin to look at a passage dealing with spiritual warfare. And at that time, we were able to look only at three verses or four verses, 10 through 13. And last week when Pastor asked if I would consider preaching again, I thought, let's go back to this text. It's one that has been in my mind quite frequently. And it's one that I desired to study because I thought it would be profitable uh, for all of us. And so we're going to go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 10, and we're going to read down to verse 20. And you follow along, and it says this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or the methods of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, and therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. 
Let's pray. Father, this morning now we come to your word. And Father, we ask in a very special way that you would open our eyes, open our ears, so that, Father, we might hear what you have for us. Father, we realize that we are dependent this morning on Jesus Christ. We're dependent upon the Spirit. And Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would just make clear your word and then transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for what you and you alone can do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were to write a word, a single word over the book of Ephesians that I think would define what the book of Ephesians is about, that word would be power. In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul describes the power of God at work through the gospel, bringing us to eternal life. Then in the last three chapters, he describes the power of God at work as we live out the gospel in our lives. And in essence, what Paul says, he says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And that's really what the whole book is about. It's about God's power through Christ at work. Now when you come to the end of the book, the conclusion, the very last thing that Paul's going to bring up, really in a tone of seriousness, is once again the power of God when he says, be strong in the Lord and in the what? The power of His might. And in essence, what Paul is saying is that the entirety of the Christian life is dependent on the power of God that is found in His Son, Jesus. Now as he ends, he comes to this place with this power of God and being strong, and he brings up this serious note, and the reason we need to be strong, and the reason we need God's power is because we are at war. He says there is a spiritual enemy, not flesh and blood. It is a spiritual enemy that is stronger than us. These enemies, these demonic forces, are more intelligent than us. They are extremely cunning and deceptive. They know your weaknesses. They know my weaknesses. And they are carefully and methodically hunting you down. And so Paul ends and he says, you need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might because of these enemies that are after you. Now interesting enough, in the context that Paul is dealing with, where do these battles take place? Well, all you have to do is go back to chapter 5 and start in verse 15, and that's where the context and where the battle takes place is with each other in the congregation. It takes place in the marriages, husbands and wives. And many times in the counseling, I'll have a new husband come up to me and he'll say, you know, Lee, I thought when I got married, all of these problems would be taken care of. 
And I just have to tell them, no, you just entered into a new battleground. It's still there. What about relationships with children that he talks about in chapter 6? I talk with teens and young people, and I've had teens tell me and say, hey, Lee, if you only knew the family I had, if I didn't have this family, things would go well. And I have to remind them, God did not make a mistake giving you the mom and dad you have. He's not up in heaven going, well, I really messed up on that one. I mean, think of Joseph. He had 12 brothers or 11 brothers that sold him. God did not make a mistake. What about in the workplace? And you get the job that you've always wanted and you start working there and all of a sudden battles that begin to rage. And so Paul says that the nature and the realm of the battle really happens in our personal relationships, these intimate relationships that we come in contact almost on a daily basis. Now it's just not those. It's other places also. But it's ultimately in these places. i never forget, it was back in 2016 when I had the privilege to go to Jaipur, India for a, a pastoral's conference, a pastor's conference. Um, if you know anything about the Indian religion or the Hindu religion, the Hindu religion claims to be over 33 million gods, many demigods or demigods. Uh, I'll never forget, one day we were driving, and as we were driving, all of a sudden the traffic came to a crawl. And for about 10 minutes, we just slowly crept, and finally we got to the cause of the traffic jam. There was a cow right in the middle of the street. And as I went by him, I rolled down my window and I said this to the cow. I said, you may think you're a god, but where I'm from, you're steak. <laughs> and I think the pastor, the, the um, taxi driver almost had a heart attack. <laughs> the pastor started chuckling, the national pastor. But then he began to talk to me about the Hindu religion. And how the Hindu religion really impacts every area of life. From before the child is born, to the birth of that child, to the nurturing of those children, to the marriage and what it looks like in the marriage, to the status you have in life, and even to the work that you get. And as you would drive through the different neighborhoods, you would find all of these temples from these beautiful temples with gold laden outside to these little shacks. And all of them were temples to worship. And you'd find people going there asking help, trying to be good enough from the gods so that someday they can reincarnate to something better. And I remember as I was with these pastors ministering, and I was thinking to myself, we truly have entered into spiritual warfare. But the reality is, whether it's in India or Africa, here in America, there is spiritual warfare going on. And Paul is ending his book saying, you and I need the power of God to be strengthened in His power because there is an enemy who is hunting you. 
And what he desires to do is he desires to get a foothold in your life so that he can have an influence and ultimately destroy the cause of Christ at work in through you. So there is an enemy. Now this brings the question then. If you and I are going to be strong, and if we are going to stand in this warfare, what do we need to do? Well, notice twice. Just go back up. Let's look at verse 10 again. Here Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now look at verse 11. How do we do this? Put on the whole armor of God. Purpose statement. Here it is. So that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look down at verse 13. Wherefore, Take unto you the whole armor of God. Once again, purpose statement. Why? So that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. And so Paul uses this imagery that if we're going to stand against the methods of Satan and his scheming against us, we need to take on this armor. Now here's a question, and I think this is an important question. Where does Paul get his imagery from? Here he goes. He's going to talk about this armor of God. And this is one of the big questions out there. Where does Paul come up with this imagery? Well, we know that where is Paul right now? Paul most likely is in a prison cell, probably in Rome, and all around him are what? Soldiers. He's able to look outside. He's probably watching these soldiers. As Paul would travel, he remembers these soldiers. And these soldiers would be all decked out in their armor. And so there's no question that when Paul begins to write about the armor, he's using an imagery that would have been very familiar with the Ephesian believers. And so although I think he's writing about these Roman soldiers... I don't think that's the only thing he's writing about. In fact, probably even more than that, Paul is going back to the Old Testament. Now remember, who is Paul? Paul was a Pharisee who had studied the Old Testament from the time he was young. And almost all of his writings in the New Testament ultimately find their source in the Old Testament moving to show Christ. So what Old Testament analogy is Paul using? Well, I believe that he's drawing the imagery from the Old Testament and that imagery is the Lord or Yahweh as a mighty warrior. And there's many passages that talk about God or the Lord as this warrior God. In fact, you remember in Exodus when the ten plagues had come upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt, 
And then you get into chapter 13 and chapter 14 as they're moving and they come to the Red Sea, one of my favorite stories. All of the people have been delivered. They now get to the Red Sea and as they look behind them, who's coming after them? Pharaoh and his army, the most powerful nation in the world. And you can just imagine as two million plus soldiers in one sweeping glance look up at Pharaoh and his army up there on the king's highway, this hill, and then turn around and look at Moses and say, Moses, what have you done? You've brought us out here to kill us. And Moses, in total faith, puts up his hand and says, Calm down. Behold the salvation of the Lord. And he picks up this rod. And as he picks up this rod, what does that mighty sea do? It divides. And I always love that scenario. And of course, my mind as I always go to these things, it's not just the crossing of the Red Sea, but what do you think the children were doing when they crossed the sea? If you were a child, what would you be doing? I'd be poking the water. What would your parents be saying to you? Don't touch it, it might fall. Right? They get across on that side, then Pharaoh and his army begin to go across, and what happens? Now do you know what happens in chapter 15? As they cross, they begin to sing a song. It's the first song that we have in our Bible. And you know what verse 3 says? Verse 3 says this, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is His name. You who have been in our study on Wednesday nights of Joshua, you might remember a few weeks ago as we came to Joshua chapter 5, here's Joshua and the nation of Israel as they're getting ready and they're looking at Jericho, and before they enter Jericho, Joshua is walking and kind of looking at things. And do you remember who he meets? He meets a man with a sword drawn. And Joshua goes up to that man and he says, This are you for us or are you against us? And this commander, this man says this, Neither I have come as a commander of the Lord's army. I have come as commander of the Lord's army. And do you remember what Joshua does? He falls down on his face and worships. And as you follow the rest of the story of Joshua, this man, this one who has his sword drawn, is the one who gives the victory to the nation of Israel. It's not Israel. It's this commander. Now let me take you to a passage because I believe this probably 
is where Paul is getting his imagery from. Go over, and keep your finger here in Ephesians, but I want you to see this. Go over to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59, and we're going to start in verse 15. And here's what the prophet of Isaiah is going to say through the Spirit. He says this, verse 15, Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey, and the Lord saw it. So here in Israel, there's no truth. And those who are trying to do good are being pursued, hunted. And it displeased him, the Lord, that there was no judgment. Verse 16, And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. There's no one coming on, interceding. Therefore, here's God, His arm brought salvation unto Him. And his righteousness, it sustained him. Verse 17. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. And according to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay, or recompense. Look at verse 20. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgressions in Jacob, saith the Lord. And so he comes this mighty warrior God putting on this breastplate of righteousness and it's interesting if you were to look through the book of Isaiah you will find many pieces of the armor that Ephesians talks about now here then I believe is the point when Paul says in verse 10 be strong in the Lord, and in the power of His might. He is connecting the mighty warrior of the Old Testament with the Lord Jesus Christ of the New Testament. And you see, who ultimately defeated evil? Who ultimately defeated Satan? It's Jesus Christ. And when did He do this? His ultimate defeat, at least the start of His ultimate defeat, happened when Jesus died on the cross and He rose again. And in essence, what He says to Satan, your time is limited. This warrior, this Jesus, He has defeated you. And so what do you think Satan's response is to that? Well, then I'm going to try to take down as many as I can. 
And so Paul says, listen, you be strong, not in your strength, but in the one who has all strength, you find your strength in him because there's someone out there that you cannot fight. I alone defeat him. And so put on the armor. So I think this imagery that Paul is leaning on really is these beautiful passages in the Old Testament where Yahweh as warrior comes and fight, and that's the Jesus of the New Testament. Now, let's go on. He says, this armor, put on the armor. Now look at verse 14. He says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Now what does that mean? I mean, this is probably language we don't use very much, right? Kids are going to school. They're getting out of the van. I say, hey, make sure your loins are girded with truth. They look at dad and go, you are nuts. What do you mean? Well, the idea there is actually to put on the belt of truth. Well, let me give you four points that I think will help to define this. And not worry, this is the only uh, verse we're looking at today. So you might be looking at your clocks going, four points for verse 14. We got a lot. We're only going to look at put on the belt of truth. And let me just give you four points that I think help me to understand this. What does he mean to gird your loins with truth? First of all, I believe it's a preparation. You remember what the people wore in Paul's day? They didn't wear jeans like you and I or dresses necessarily. They wore tunics. And it was a robe that had a hole for the head and then holes for the arms. And when the people would work, if they wanted to get busy, they literally had to cinch those up, cinch the bottom up, and then they would put a belt around it to tie it up so that they could effectively work. Uh, same with a soldier. When a soldier would come, he would have to go ahead and put that up, and he had little loops for the belt to go on. And in fact, it's interesting that the armor or the belt of armors was probably the most important piece that a soldier would put on. Because what it did is it helped put or place every other equipment in place. So you had to wear that if other parts were going to fit properly and stay. And so here's what Paul is saying. Put on this belt. Be prepared. In fact, when the soldiers would put on this belt, um, they, one of the commentaries talked about it would give them an attitude of preparedness. Well, preparedness for what? Because the battle could happen at any time. So what is Paul saying? Don't put your guard down. Because when you do, that's when the enemy is going to attack. And you find this, right? All the time. I saw this in church planting in Africa. We saw this when we were starting the college in Zambia. Here's a time where we think everything is going well. God is in our midst. People are being changed through the Word. And then all of a sudden, when everything seems to be going well, then something happens, some kind of a battle. I remember many times thinking to myself, I didn't see that coming. 
And Paul is saying, be prepared, because it is coming. Realize, folks, any time God is at work, who's also going to be at work? Satan. That's why you always got to be careful. We'll talk about this in a second. That's why you always got to be praying. Because even as I look at what God is doing here in the church, what God is doing in your own lives, I can promise you this, Satan also will be at work. And when it comes, we shouldn't be sitting back like I do many times, well, I didn't see that coming. No, it's a spirit of preparation. But then it goes on. We are to be prepared, but we are to be prepared with what? Be prepared with the truth. Put on the belt of truth. Be girded with the loins of truth. Now, what is truth? This is one of the questions when I come to a passage like this. Paul, what do you mean? How do I put on truth? And many times what I find helpful, and I think what you would find helpful, is when you're trying to figure out what the author means by a term or a phrase, see if he uses it anywhere else in the book. And what you find is that he uses truth in the book of Ephesians seven times. And I just want you to look at one passage that I think helped me. Go back over to chapter 4. And let's just start in verse 20. Paul says this, But you have not so learned Christ. If so, you have heard, if so, you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is what? Is in Jesus. And so what Paul is saying is that truth is a person. When we talk about truth, it ultimately comes down to Jesus, who He is, and what He has done for us. And so when Paul uses this, first of all, this idea of truth then is that we have a personal relationship with truth. We are prepared, but what is that preparation? That preparation is a relationship, a personal relationship. You see, a lot of times in our minds, here's what we think. We have categories of truth. Well, we have the truth of God, we have the truth of angels, we have this truth, and then we have the truth of Jesus. That's not how the Bible shows this. The Bible actually shows us this, that all truth is found in Him, Jesus, and out of Him comes all truth. And so, when you go to our Bibles, you look at the Old Testament. Who is Jesus? In the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints begin to prepare us for His coming. Starting all the way back in 3.15, Genesis 3.15. Remember the story? Sin had happened. And Eve blames the serpent. And you remember what God says to the serpent? There's coming a day when a child will be born. And this child 
is going to crush your head. And all the way then throughout the Old Testament, we're waiting for this child. We're given more details. We find out he's the Son of God. We find out in Isaiah 53 he's going to suffer. But it's preparing us and we're waiting for him. Then when we get to the New Testament, the Gospels, what do we find? He's come. The manifestation. And this one who is truly God is born of a little baby. We follow his story. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. Everything for the will of his father. He did miracles. He forgave sins. He taught like no one else ever taught. Till finally they come to the conclusion, there's something more about you, isn't there? You're not just a person. Until finally you get to that last week, the Passion Week, where Jesus Christ goes up into Jerusalem. And you can just see, and I can just imagine, the quietness over Him. Disciples not understanding, going to Jerusalem knowing that He's going to be tried. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be hung on a cross, and He's going to die. And during that time, the Father will turn His back on Him. That's who He is. That's what He's done. And then you ask the question, Jesus, why would you do this? And he says, I did it for your sins. You see, that's what makes Christianity so different than all of the other religions. Their religions in their mind, they believe it's system of truth. And they work their way to God. Christianity is not a working to God. It's a substitution. He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. But did He stay dead? He rose again. And by the way then, when someone then gets saved, what happens? They don't come to a system of truth. They come to the person who is truth. Christianity is not just a system to be believed. It's a person to be received. And so how does this work in your life? How does this work in all of our lives? Well, I... Born in South Dakota, a sinner, lived a sinful life, thought I had my way to go, thought I knew the path that I wanted to go, not understanding what Jeremiah 10.23 says that, you know, the ways of man are not in himself. You think you're going to direct your paths, Lee? It's only going to bring hurt. And so I'm walking this way. One day I get invited to a church. And while I'm at the church, the pastor gets up there and he preaches Jesus Christ. And while he's preaching Jesus Christ, I'm in back going, that's it. And at that moment, I rejected all of my false beliefs. And I came at that moment, person of truth. 
And when I got saved, what happened? Jesus is now in me, and I'm in Him. I don't understand it, but I believe it. And so it's this personal relationship. Now, folks, what is being attacked today? I mean, we're looking at the satanic attacks. Satan is attacking this truth all over the world. I mean, he is doing it with people that you know. And you might hear this. Remember when I was working many years ago when I was 18 years old and I was working at a restaurant. And uh, there was a guy there and he was doing some kind of a discipleship with another guy. And basically he was saying this, that um, you know you can believe whatever you want to believe and it's all leading us to heaven. And then he was talking this weird philosophy, you know, every religion just depends on how you bring the light on those religions. They all lead to God or something like God. I'm thinking, this guy's weird. And so here's, here's the question I'm asking as I'm listening to this, serving them. Lee, are you in or are you out? You know what I mean? Do I want to engage in the conversation knowing where it's probably going to lead or should I just stay out of it? I'm an engager. And so I said, you really believe that uh, all roads lead to God? He said, oh yeah. And then he made this statement, which was his mistake. He said, even the Bible teaches that. I said, really? So I went over to my desk, I pulled out my Bible, and I gently put that in front of him, and I said, could you show me where that verse is? And he began to do this. And, well, I don't know where it's at, but I know it's in there. And I said, can I show you a verse? And I went to John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus saith unto Philip, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. That's pretty absolute, isn't it? You know, it was interesting after that conversation, the guy he was discipling stayed back a little while and said, man, I would like to talk to you sometime. So if there was nothing else, at least I was able to put a little bit of doubt. You see, truth then is a person. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, back to Ephesians chapter 4. Not only then is it a proper or a personal relationship, but it's also a proper walk. Look at verse 20 again. Or verse 21. If so be that you heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Now look at verse 22. That you put off concerning the former lifestyle, conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. What is he talking about? Don't live like you used to live. You've come to the truth who's Jesus. Don't live like that. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And verse 24, put on the new man, which is after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. So the new man that we put on is one of righteousness and holiness. And then he gives just a bunch of imperatives. Look at verse 25. 
Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man what? Truth with his neighbor. Sincerity. Christ. Speak every, every man truth. For we are members of one another. Look at verse 26. Be angry. Sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Why? Verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. So here's, here's what Paul is saying. Is that we who have a personal relationship with the Christ must allow Him to have influence and instruction in our lives. In essence, follow Christ in every area of our lives. Now folks, where do we find His instruction? Where? This is where you can answer, okay? The Word of God. We find His instruction in the Word of God. Now folks, once again, where is the attack happening today? When you stand on God's Word, you will be attacked. It was interesting, just as I was studying this week on this passage, I looked at the news and a little article all the way down at the bottom of Fox News caught my eye. And I guess it was about some TV show. Now, I do not know this TV show, but it's called Bachelor. Any of you ever heard of that? It's some kind of a dating game or a marriage thing. I'm not sure what it is. But it's very interesting. One of the, what, what it was all about is a guy was seeing this girl on Bachelor but he's a Christian, and supposedly she's a Christian. And the guy said this, I will not have premarital sex until after marriage. And he made that stand. And the whole article was about the girl who broke up with him. And then she makes this statement, I do have premarital sex, and I am a Christian, and Jesus still loves me. And basically, the whole article was an attack against his stand. And I thought to myself, okay, if Jesus loves you, love him back. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. That's what Paul is saying. Is if we are followers of Christ, then we let Christ come out in everything we do. We let the sweet fragrance. You see, it's, and that's why it's so important to understand this. It's not just moral truth. Do, 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 do. It's more than that. It's a fragrance of walking with the Lord and everything I do, Jesus comes forth. So what does that look like then in our daily lives? Well, it means we spend time with Him, right? If we're going to have the fragrance of Christ and girded with truth, I come to Him and I say, Jesus, there's a battle out there. Satan has his scope on me. And I need you today. Will you show me wonderful things out of thy word today? 
I open up his Bible and I spend time at the feet of the Savior. And then as I move that sweet fragrance, I begin to apply his truth to how I talk with my wife, to how I talk with my children, to how children you talk with your parents, to how I talk with those that I work with. And the people look at you and go, you know what, there, there's, there's something different about you. You know, you're, you're not like so-and-so. What, what's different about you? Well, let me tell you, it's Jesus. Back when I was 14 years old, I met someone. Let me tell you about it. And the sweet fragrance of Christ comes out of your life. Now I close with this. So you have a preparation. Are you prepared for the battle? It's a personal relationship. It's a proper walk. And then it's a prayerful dependence. Look at verse 18, chapter 6. Paul says this, praying always. Now the way that that little word praying is being used is it actually covers everything that he's been talking about. Putting on the armor, how do we do that? Praying always. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. And so, how do you find your strength? I'm putting on the truth, the belt of truth, but then I'm running to Him moment by moment throughout the day when the battle is raging, and I come to Him in prayer. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His what? His might. He's the mighty warrior. I can't defeat Him. And so I run to Him moment and I say, Lord, give me help. And you know what He says? He says, Lee, I'm going to give you my strength. I've already won the battle. The battle is not for you and I to win. The battle is for you and I to fight. And so every morning I get up and I put on the boxing gloves and I go out there and I fight and some days I get knocked out. And some days I win that round. But you know who won the actual battle? It's not you. The victory is won through Jesus Christ and I run to Him moment by moment. Then He helps me in the battle. He helps me with the armor. And so if we are going to withstand the enemy's attacks, we have to put on the armor, we have to run to Him. Let me close with a familiar hymn that I think captures what Paul is saying. You know this hymn, it's Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. First verse says this, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high His royal banner and must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory His army shall He lead till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. 
Stand up, verse 2, stand up for Jesus. Stand in His strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, truth. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Let's pray. Father, we do realize that there is a spiritual battle all around us. And that, Father, that spiritual battle happens in every area of our lives. Father, I don't know what's happening in each one of these believers here. But, Father, I just pray that we would find encouragement That even though I cannot overcome, you can overcome. And in your strength and in your power, we can find strength day to day. Lord, maybe there's one here this morning and they're lost. They have never come to that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They have never come to the truth. Father, would you work in their lives? bringing the conviction of sin through your Spirit, and then the reality of Christ, His death and resurrection. And then call them into your family. Then, Father, for the rest of us, let us be prepared. Because the battle is coming. It's there. Some of the dear folks here are in that battle. Lord, I just pray, give them the strength. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus, that he is the mighty warrior who won for us. And we praise you in his name. Amen.